Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525-8988. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I hear the voice of my Redeemer. He's calling me to walk with Him. And when in life the load I bear is heavy, He gives me strength to rise again. He's by my side, giving me the courage, placing his peace into my soul. He says I'm here to help you on that journey, the path we're on. sermon is pre-recorded. The message today is entitled Surviving the House Renovation. If you have ever 
survived one, you know there were times when you thought you would not survive. Especially the day they chose to tear out the whole kitchen. And you ended up trying to wash the dishes in one of the small bathrooms and cooking on a hot plate in the garage or on the grill. Different people do house renovations in different ways. Some, like me, said, let's just get the whole job done. Come in and rip it out. Just don't touch my bed. I've got to have a place to sleep at night. But of course, everything was covered with dust, construction dust. Even though you tend it off, you can't tend it off. Some of you guys are construction people. You know the perverse joy you get out of construction. You're building something beautiful, but the mess that you create in the process is unbelievable. Especially when the wife says, that wall, we've got to take that wall out. Well, is it a load-bearing wall? I hope, I hope. No, it's not. It goes. And then slowly, the whole house is ripped to pieces. Well, some people do it that way. Other people, they say, no, no, let's just do the bathroom. The little one. And then others say, no, let's just do the master bedroom and take that wall out and put the jacuzzi tub in. Let's take this one step at a time. And so... One way of doing it, ripping everything out at once, and then it's done. And you live in a new house. The other way, for the next two years, you're in renovation. Listening to the hammering, dealing with the dust, dealing with the paint odors, surviving the renovation. And then there's the cost. You know, they take the bathroom out, and then they say, look, there's mold in the bathroom. Now it's going to cost you this much more, and we're going to have to get that mold out. Well, what bathroom does not have mold in it? Every bathroom I've ever seen where the tub's taken out, there's some mold under there. You know, through the cracks that you have around your shower that you knew you should take care of, but you didn't until the ceiling downstairs started to show wet places. Maybe all of you have lived in these beautiful houses where there was never a roof leak or a... Well, the renovation of our lives is very similar. You have to decide, do you want this one little area taken care of? Or do you just want Jesus to come in and rip the whole thing apart and do a wholesale renovation in your life? I don't think I can survive a piecemeal renovation in my heart. I want the whole deal done, finished. So today we're going to talk about what's entailed in the renovation of your life. And as we go through this, you're going to have an opportunity to say, okay, take that wall out, Jesus. Okay, pull that bathroom out. Put the jacuzzi tub in. Do you want your whole life totally upset and turned over? If you do, I could recommend talking to some people like David and Catherine. They just said, let's get this job done. 
So their life has been upside down. I find a certain perverse joy in being with people who are just utterly in the desert. I have a hard time dealing with the happy, happy Christians who have never had their house renovated. I find joy in being with those Christians who are either under renovation, planning the renovation, or are just, everything's wiped out, and they're not sure they will survive. I guess my perverse joy in being with them is because that's how I feel in my life. I thought I'd ask for it just to all be done, but it's been stretched out over a period of time because there was a lot more to be done than I thought there was to be done. And I have yet to see a house renovation. I have yet to see a house renovation get started where you don't get into things you never expected. Problems, they don't appear quickly. You've got to dig down, and as you dig down, you begin to see the real issue in the house. Like you've got to uh, replace the beam or the beams under the house. You've got to jack it up and pull them out. And it's not anything that's going to make the house any prettier. It's just going to establish a firm foundation. That same is true in your life. And you can say, okay, I like who I am. I like the mess I live in. I don't want this renovation business done in my heart. You can say that. Or you can say, Lord, just come and get the mess started. But try to help me survive through it because I know I'm not going to survive. So let's look at what the renovation is about. Romans, the 12th chapter. I'll begin with verse 1. Therefore... And that therefore refers to Romans 6, 7, and 8 specifically, where it talks about the work that God is doing. Talks about the work that God is accomplishing in our hearts through this process of death and dying. And then we come to the 12th chapter, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Well, please understand, he's now talking about the renovation is complete. And now you offer your body as a living sacrifice. You can't offer your body as a living sacrifice if it is diseased, if it is filled with sin. You can't offer your body because no offering in the Old Testament was acceptable before God if it was a diseased animal. You could not have a diseased animal offered as a burnt offering. It had to be perfect. So this renovation has to go on in your life before you can offer yourself as a, as a living sacrifice and have that offering accepted by God. Now it goes on. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, do not shape your life to look like the culture that is around us. The culture is filled with darkness, so don't, don't bring that darkness into your life. 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. How can I know what God's will is? Well, you can't know until you've been renovated, until the construction work is finished in your heart and you are absolutely given into the hands of Jesus. When you've given yourself totally to Jesus, you can pray and get very specific answers about what God's will is. And as the renovation goes forward in your life, there's more and more freedom to pray and get specific answers. A new Christian asked me, Pastor, pray and be certain that I know God's will. Well, the answer to that question is by being renovated, by having the old walls of stubbornness ripped out, by having the old walls of my false security removed and the house opened up. As I am increasingly transformed into the likeness of Jesus, the answers come much more quickly. There was a day when I prayed for over a year, for a specific answer to my prayer. God would not answer me. During that year, he began to confront me with the sin that was in my life. And as I allowed him to do the reconstruction of my heart, the day finally came when he answered, and in this case, answered audibly like I'm talking with you. I was terrified by his answer, but I had my answer, unequivocally. There are other times when the answer comes in a still small voice. There are other times when it comes through a brother or a sister or a quickening of the scriptures. The only reason I pray is to get answers. I don't pray to practice yoga. It's not a a mind game. I pray because I need Jesus. He's real. He wants to talk with us. He wants to direct our steps. But there is a renovation required in our hearts in order for him to be free to answer the prayers we pray. Always, God wants to deal with his agenda first, and then he'll deal with your agenda. So when you begin to pray and cry out to God for a specific issue, don't be surprised when a whole bunch of other issues spring up that you weren't even aware of. Because God wants to deal with those issues before he deals with what you're praying for. And the more deeply involved in prayer you are, the more serious will become his confrontation of you over your own personal life and the deeper the work of renovation will go in your soul. Until finally you will not wake up and recognize yourself. You'll say, who is this? I didn't do it. How did it happen? God did it. With hammer and nail. With a buzz saw. And many times in this journey I've said, Lord, I can't stand anymore. You really want me to quit? No, Lord, let's get it done. Let's get it done. 
So I want to show you what is comprised in this renewing, this renovation. It is, it is a total change of habits. It is a, a brand new way of worship. It is an actually different and dramatic change in life goals. It is a radical change through and through. You will not be the same person you were when the work began. Now he says, For by the grace given me, in verse 3, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. The first sign that God is successful in performing this renovation in your life is that he gives you humility. He takes the arrogance out of your heart. You don't think of yourself highly anymore. You humble your heart by the power of the Spirit. But think rather of yourself with sober judgment. I just want to ask you, how serious are you about God? How serious are you in reality? about God. Now, you can answer that question in a flippant, quick way, or you can go back through your week and say, what was my obedience that I rendered to Jesus this week? Did I focus on me and mine, or did I focus on him and his? What was the center focus Was I feeling like I was put upon and I was a victim and life is not fair and I didn't get what I want and God's not fair and I don't know why I ought to be doing this anyway and poor me, then no, you are not thinking of yourself with any kind of sober judgment. You have not yet decided that you're going to get serious with Jesus. I see a young person come in or it could be an old person like me, come in and sit down in the church, and then suddenly their cell phone buzzes. And they hop up and they run out of the service to go outside and talk with somebody on their cell phone. And I can guarantee you they're not talking to Jesus on their cell phone. God doesn't call us on our cell phone. But we immediately see whether we're looking with sober judgment at ourselves or whether we're just flighty, full of indifference, only concerned about the present moment and my place and my situation. I can't think of any reason a person would answer a cell phone sitting in the midst of worship. I can see them if they were taken to heaven. They're at the throne of God, and they somehow slip their cell phone into heaven. And they're texting somebody. Or their cell phone goes off when there's a great silence before God. Can you imagine that? No, they wouldn't have even, they wouldn't have even gotten the cell phone into heaven. But there's no sober judgment. There's no sobriety. There is drunkenness with this world. So I want to grab and growl like an animal. This is what has to be renovated in our hearts. 
There has to be a, a sobriety. If God is going to do this work, we can't be drunk while he's doing it. We have to be sober. If we're drunk while he's doing it, we'll get angry about the work and we'll blow out. And we'll say, I don't want this. It's too painful. I want to go get another drunk. Another drink. I want to be drunk. I want to be zoned out. Someone this week, I was talking to them about being sober. I said to them, have you ever been sober? And they replied, have you ever been drunk? And I said, no, I've never been drunk. And they said, what? You've never been drunk? And they said, I don't think I've ever been sober. I said, I'd like to meet you sometime when you're sober. What kind of person are you? And they said, I don't know. So I began to talk with them about Jesus. And that they probably were very uncomfortable with themselves, and that's why they drank. But Jesus would heal that and would restore them and give them a wonderful personality and life if they would allow Jesus to do that. If we're going to undergo this work, we're going to have to recognize that we can't be proud, we can't be full of ourselves. We've got to think with sober judgment, and we have to walk in faith. Now, just very quickly, I want to say a couple of things about faith. Biblical faith or Christian faith does not say, I took the job interview and now I know that that job is mine because I am claiming it by faith. That's witchcraft. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith says, my faith rests on the will of God alone and not on any desire or wish that I have. My faith must rest on the will of God. Until a person knows the will of God, they have no basis for faith. Faith is expecting God to do what we know it is His will to do. We have to be able to have the renovation done in our hearts. We have to have spent the time in the Word. We have to have listened to the preaching of the Word so that we know what God's will is for us. Faith is never wishful thinking. Faith is never repeating something enough times until I believe it. My believing something doesn't make it so. My faith is based on the certainty that this is God's will. I know it is His will. And that is the basis for my saying, the will of God will be done. How many times, as a child, I wished for something at Christmas and said, I have faith to believe, Daddy, that I'm going to get this for Christmas. And my dad would say, well, who's going to bring it to you? Santa Claus. 
And my daddy would say, the only one who could bring that to you is Jesus. And he does not have a gray beard and ride in a sleigh. There is no Santa Claus, Raymond. Daddy, my teacher said there was a Santa Claus. Did my teacher lie to me? Are you telling me that my teacher's a liar? Yes, Raymond, I am. But don't tell her that tomorrow. Because I don't have time to go in for a conference. I learned very early that faith is not wishful thinking. That I must know what God's word is. I must know what his will is. And then I must stand on the will of God being accomplished. Because then he will bring it to pass. Now I want to turn to the extensive list of what is the renovation about, where Paul outlines it in the book of Ephesians. You could go to many places for this, but we'll go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and I'll begin reading with verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. This is the description of the man before the renovation begins. I went to visit a member of my congregation some years ago. When I arrived at the house, unannounced, she did not want to invite me into the house. I knew her to be a kind and gentle woman. And I asked, what is in your house that you do not want me to see? And she said, I will let you come to the door and look in. On the right was the kitchen table. I'm assuming the kitchen table. It was stacked high with dirty dishes and with junk. There was a narrow path about 8 to 12 inches that led into the house, past what I suppose at one point would have been called a couch. It was piled so high you could see nothing. It was filled with newspapers and trash and every precious treasure that she'd had for years. There was no place to even walk through the place. And there was certainly no place to sit down. I said, please tell me, you at least have your bed uncovered, don't you? She said, I have just enough so I can lay down on the edge of my bed, but I'm in danger of falling out of bed because stuff falls on me in the night that's stacked up beside me. I said, thank you. I won't come in. Let's go sit outside. 
and I saw that her house was in desperate need of painting and repair. She was a widow with two children. And I said, how about if we come and paint your house? She said, yes, please, pastor, that'd be wonderful. So the next Sunday, we were all out at her house, scraping. It took us a full day to scrape the house with a whole bunch of people. And the next week, we went, and we got the whole house painted on the exterior. I said to her, now that we have the outside looking beautiful, would you allow a group of women to come and empty the inside out? Her face became flaming red. Pastor, those are my treasures. I can't lose them. I said, and so you're beautiful on the outside and ugly on the inside. You need a renovation. It took a matter of months before she was finally willing to let the ladies of the church in her front door And it took another six months to begin to get the house emptied out. There is such fear. There is such resistance to even begin to change the simplest habits of our life. Because there is an urgency in our heart to go after more and more darkness. Some of you in this room today, if you have your choice, you will eat the darkness. You will turn to the drug of choice. There is no pleasure in your heart to eat that which is righteous or holy or sacred. You don't have any taste buds for it. You'd rather live in the habits of your life. The Lord God of heaven said to Cain, there is sin crouching at your door and you must overcome it. In the book of Revelation, each of the seven churches is told the same thing. If you overcome, I will give to you. Please understand renovation, you will face incredible resistance in your heart to that renovation. Just make a decision of the simplest kind. Uh, I'm going to cut sugar from my diet. And see how every sweet stands up and dances before you and says, eat me, eat me, eat me. You're starving until you eat this cookie. You're starving until you have that ice cream. You're starving. You know what I had to do for the Friday night group? I bought two half gallons of delicious ice cream. They only ate one of the half gallons. And I was excited because the Lord won't let me normally buy ice cream, and now there's a half gallon in my freezer. Every night I thought about that half gallon of ice cream. And Thursday night, the Lord said to me, put it in the sink. And so I set the box carefully in the sink. And I went to bed with groaning. 
because I knew that ice cream was just perfect to eat. The next morning I got up. He said, now go look at that ice cream. So I opened the box of ice cream. It had all melted, of course. He said, now pour it down the drain, the garbage disposal. So I did. And it was full of junk. It was not liquid. And I saw the ugliness of what I wanted so badly to put into my body. And I began to laugh and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that I did not have to wear that ice cream. Just a simple little thing like ice cream captures our hearts. And we say, I want that. Well, in the, in the process of tearing out all those old habits, the Lord's going to come across some that are very precious to you. Some of you, like me, are seeing your stomach. And the Lord said to me, how can you be a holiness preacher and have that stomach? Just several weeks ago, he rebuked me. So I've been dropping poundage. And I'll finish it. Because I'm under discipline, I'm under renovation. Some of you are not happy with the food you have to eat. And you rebel against it. I don't want to look too closely because you might think I'm talking about you. Let me read some of the renovation that's going to have to happen. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. That is literally, in the Greek, to take off like you take off clothing, to strip it off, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. I like that. It's not my deceitful desires. It is the deceitful desire of sin that has come upon me to deceive me. And I have to recognize that's not who Jesus made me to be. He made me to be something else. He made me to be holy and righteous. He did not create me to be wicked or filled with my own lust or my own desires. I was to be filled with his desires with righteousness, with holiness. So he says, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's why earlier in that passage in Romans 12, it says, transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is the same word in the Greek for metamorphosis. A worm spins a chrysalis, hangs in the dark, and is transformed into a butterfly. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Have you spent enough worm time? And are you ready to burst out in the newness of life as a new creature in Christ? Can you imagine a butterfly sitting on a flower, drinking nectar, crying? And you would say, little butterfly, why are you crying? 
because I loved being a worm. I don't think so. Worms don't fly. Worms are ugly creatures. I think God made them so ugly to have the contrast so beautiful in the monarch. Therefore, each of you, now he begins the hit list. Put off falsehood. No more lying about anything. That's the first part of the renovation God begins to do. All lies have to stop. Renovation time. That wall has to come out. Humility of heart has to come. Put off falsehood. Stop lying. Speak the truth. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Now, please understand, as soon as God begins the renovation, as soon as he humbles your heart, as soon as he begins to speak to you, you're going to get angry. You're going to say, this is not fair. I'm being treated poorly. I thought Jesus loved me. Obviously, God hates me, or I wouldn't be treated this way. Anger begins to rise up, and we begin to turn away from Jesus and say, okay, if I'm going to be treated that way at church, I'm not going to go anymore. Really? Don't like the renovation, do you? Want to be pampered, don't you? Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, deal with it. Deal with your anger. This is especially true for husbands and wives. Especially true for people who live in the same house. Don't go to bed mad at your wife or your husband. Don't go to bed mad at your kids. Deal with it. That's what he says. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. No thieving. No slipping and sliding. No dishonest dealing but must work. No sense of entitlement. Nobody owes me anything. I lay my life down as a sacrifice for Jesus, and I go to work. A man cannot be saved if he's unwilling to work, because it's in the painful discipline of work that a man or a woman begins to grow up and understand responsibility, and begin to understand what the discipline is. Sometimes God sends us to work for Uncle Laban. And sometimes we're not happy about working for Uncle Laban. You know who Uncle Laban is. And we walk away from work and we say, I'm not being appreciated there. And I'm certainly not making enough money there. Uncle Laban is not an easy taskmaster. But until we have worked for Uncle Laban, we are not wise enough to work for anybody else. God is interested in humbling our heart. He's interested in training us how to be sober-minded. He's wanting to train us to be responsible, to be accountable for our actions. 
You must work doing something useful with your own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. So the reason for working in the New Testament is not to make money to pay your own bills. Remember, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things that pagans run after, houses, clothes, food, this will all be provided. You just do what Jesus tells you to do. So you're going to work so that you have something to share with other people who are desperately in need. It's not for you and yours. Now, if you're working and Jesus is blessing you, he will flow the resources through your work that will take care of your responsibilities. One of the greatest joys I have, bar none, is to give to others. And I like best to give anonymously, where nobody knows. It's in an envelope and it's put in somebody's car. It's in an envelope and it's put in somebody's Bible. Anonymous. Nobody knows. And then I pray that Jesus will make them find it at just the right time when they need it. Or sometimes it's fun to point out a brother and say, somebody put a $20 bill in his pocket so he can pay his debt. And then he has $2 left for gas. Humbling, but wonderful. He goes on. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see what what causes difficulty in people's heart, what causes grieving of the Holy Spirit is when unwholesome talk begins to flow out of your mouth. When our lives are under renovation by God, it's very easy to begin to be angry about that renovation. We don't like the hard work. We don't like the discipline. God puts us with Uncle Laban or an unfair person, and we're grappling and we're struggling. We will grieve the Holy Spirit if we begin to speak out of our mouth angry words, condemning words, judging words. He doesn't want us to do that. The Holy Spirit will leave us if we do. Get rid. Now, I like this. It's it's like take the trash out, Ray. When I came in this morning, there was a trash can back here in the back. It was overflowing. And before I could even begin to help set up the chairs, 
Holy Spirit said to me, take the trash out. It stinks. If you want a whiff, it's back there. No, we don't like trash. He's saying, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. That's the trash. He's saying, get rid of that trash. The trash of our lives is bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. As God begins the renovation of our hearts and our lives, this is the construction trash that has to be carried out. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God, forgave you. And now he begins to talk about the building process that's going on. He says, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Even if it costs me money, business is business. Yes, even if it costs me money. And then, but among you, chapter 5, verse 3, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. They're out of place but rather thanksgiving. For you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater. Pornography is idolatry. Sexual self-love is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. That is worshiping a false god. No person who walks this way has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in goodness righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. It does not say find out how to survive. It says find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible For it is the light that makes everything visible. This is why it says, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Tyndall translates that a bit more graphically. He says in his translation, Stand up from death. And Christ shall give you life. Stand up from death. 
That's what this renovation is all about. We're going to have to let our habits be transformed. Our inner lives transformed. We have to stand up out of the death we live in. Whether it's despair, discouragement, arrogance, pride, hard work. Whatever the death is we live in, we have to stand up out of that death. And Christ will give you light. So this work of renovation is absolutely necessary to go on in our lives. We can do it slowly or we can get it done quickly. Depending on the amount of renovation that has to take place. But there is a contractor who's in charge of this renovation. And his name is Jesus. And he supplies all of the lumber and all of the new things that have to be brought into this house. He will pay the bill. But it's your heart that has to be ripped out and replaced with a new one. It's you who have to give up the greed and the anger. We have to allow Jesus to change us. We have to say, yes, Lord, have your way. Would you do it your way? But I can't give that up. Tell Jesus you can't give it up and ask him if he just slip it out from under you when you're not looking. Just ask him if he'd take it. He will take it. And he'll set you free. This is not by works. It's by grace. It's by the power of God. The question is, do we want the renovation work of God completed in our hearts? And that takes us back to that passage that David Sampson has so lifted up for many of us. Psalm 118. Open wide the gates of righteousness. This whole thing of walking as a Christian is about righteousness, being made holy, being made clean. So, let the reformation begin in your heart, the renovation. Ask Jesus to move in power this week to begin to change your heart. To make you into the man or the woman he wants to make you into. And he will do it. And when you feel like getting angry, or feeling sorry for yourself, or feeling entitled, turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, that's the old stuff that has to be ripped out. Would you replace it with a gentle heart? with righteousness? Let's pray. Lord, this change in our hearts has to be completed that we could offer ourselves as burnt offerings, living martyrs, being crucified with Christ, but not I, but yet you live in me. Lord, Would you have your way? 
I pray for each person who has come today that you will guide them and direct and oversee as contractor the renovation of their life. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Bring it to pass quickly that we could come through as a congregation laying our life on that altar burnt offering that you could accomplish in this prayer chapel all that you desire. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord.